The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. It's good to be back. I hope you're doing well. Here's a question for you as we kick off Theology Thursday with our friends at uh, BJU Seminary and Bob Jones University. What's the uh, statistical probability of enjoying your time at the beautiful Lake Lore in the mountains of North Carolina when it rains about 90% of the time? Uh, well, I guess the answer to that question would be, it depends on who you're with. If you're going to be stuck inside at a, at a place as beautiful as Lake Lore in North Carolina out in the mountains. And fortunately for me and, the, and uh, most of my family, we were stuck inside with family. So that was awesome. Kind of a family reunion, but it's good to be back. Uh, usually it's absolutely spectacular out there. You have this beautiful lake in the mountains, which is pretty picturesque. Uh, but this time we had mostly rain, but still an enjoyable time. Thanks to Pastor Chris for being in on Monday. And then, of course, Stu Epperson yesterday. Today uh, on the show, not not just Theology Thursday in general, uh, but the show uh, over the course of all my years doing radio, which started on Saturdays in 2007, I have never had a guest on today like my guest, Dr. Melissa Gardangi. Uh, is a Ph.D. mathematician. She's the chair of the Division of Mathematical uh, Sciences at Bob Jones University. Uh, and, and don't glaze over. I, don't like, oh, no, this is going to be like math nerdy. I'm not going to understand anything. Part, part of this is going to be nerdy. But as a Christian, if you're going to have a biblical worldview, part of your biblical worldview should actually be a bit nerdy. Because without God and without design, there is no math, there is no science, because there's nothing but chaos and, and randomness. So this is, uh, we're going to look at kind of the origins of life vis-a-vis -vis the origins of information. So hang in there, uh, because I watched a 40-minute presentation that Melissa did uh, down at Bob Jones University, and it was fascinating. If you've ever kind of gone down the road of intelligent design, if you've ever done anything or read any books or watched any presentations by Dr. Stephen Meyer, who's done a lot of work on intelligent design, uh, <clears throat> then then you're gonna, this will make some sense to you. Uh, but it, there, there are some really kind of, I think, funny uh, punchlines in here. Like, have you ever tried to write out uh, 10 to the 37th power? That would be a one with 37 zeros after it. We're going to get to that. Uh, but Dr. Melissa Gardangi is in the house. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. And our mutual friend, Renton Rathbun, how did he set you up for this, by the way? Well, he coordinates the conference that I spoke at that you referenced. And uh, apparently he thought it went well and suggested my name. So I got one of those little emails saying, <laughs> do you want to? <laughs> and what was your reaction to that? My reaction was... I need some more information before I make that decision. <laughs> of course, a like a good uh, mathematician, you would require more information. But I really appreciate you uh, being here. Before we kind of dive into the origins of information and the origins of life, uh, how did you end up in the world of mathematics? I, I told you this off the air. I want to make yeah. sure we kind of take this opportunity to encourage parents and grandparents who have sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, who might be proficient in math. And you might think, oh, that's a secular field. 
but there is a beautiful inter- inter- interaction between our faith and things like math and science. But how did that go for you, Melissa? So I think it started out the way it started out for a lot of people. I was good at it in high school. I liked it. And so I thought engineering would be a good career for me. And I got to school, finished my undergrad in engineering and realized that what I really liked was not building things, but figuring out the logic behind Mm. things. So I moved off of engineering into applied mathematics. And you got your undergrad at BJU, right? I did. Um, and after, after I worked on the Lord uses circumstances in unique and varied ways. And in retrospect, you can look back and say, wow, that was the Lord's hand moving, even yeah. when at the time you didn't realize it, but he would very clearly moved me into applied mathematics. And since then I have found that I love finding answers to problems. Mm. So whether they're business problems or statistical problems, um, figuring out answers that help people make better decisions has become one of my favorite things to do. It's what I love to teach. Yeah. And, and that's something that you're solving a lot of problems that a lot of us quite simply don't have the ability to do. Or the interest. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, I'm going <laughs> to check off both boxes for myself. How, how about your the integration of a, of a biblical worldview with the world of math and science? How, how did that kind of, uh, I'll go ahead and use this word, how did that evolve for you? Um, it was very much an evolution in that I slowly changed my perspective as I learned more. But one of the things that I've come to really love about mathematics that I think is so powerful is the nature of mathematics means it's subject to logic. And if you ask yourself, where did logic come from? Mm -hmm. The only answer I've ever figured out is that God has created logic. It is coming out of the mind of God and he has built that into the world in which we live or you're working off of um, creating models for something in the physical world. So what I love about mathematics is that everything we do that is done correctly is aligned with the biblical worldview Mm. because you can never defy, uh, proper mathematics can never defy logic and logic is the way God built the world to function and proper mathematics can't defy the creation, if you're modeling the creation, and God's creation is never going to contradict himself. So mathematics for me is really almost the the best insight that I can think of into how God meant the world to be, how God meant the world to work, how God thinks about the world. And so every time I use a mathematical premise or I use logic to determine if an answer is right or not, I'm going back to thinking the way God thinks about things, yeah. building an argument for truth. And there is nothing more biblical than true truth. Right. Yeah, which is really the key. I mean, in one of Jesus's interactions with Pontius Pilate, uh, he says quite emphatically, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And so the truth becomes the epicenter of everything that is uh, a biblical worldview and God himself. And oftentimes with math and science, Melissa, I'll I'll say, hey, listen, to me, math and science is just the revelation of the genius of God. You're Mm -hmm. just getting into the Lego box and discovering his stuff. 
yeah. which all works, as you said. It makes sense. It all operates together. It is a system. It's not random. But what about the origins of life? We're going to peel that back with Dr. Melissa Gardengi. This is Steve Noble on Theology Thursday. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Great to be back with you. Theology Thursday with our friends at Bob Jones University today talking to Dr. Melissa Gardangi. Am I saying that correctly? You are. I'm, I'm a lot older than you, so I'm going to ask that question often because things <laughs> just go, just disappear. Uh, and we're talking uh, today. She is the chair of the Division of Mathematical Sciences down at Bob Jones University, a Ph.D., in math and applied mathematics, and you might be going, what does that have to do with Theology Thursday? Oh, I'm glad you asked, and my answer is quite a lot to uh, be specific. So thanks again, Melissa, for being willing to do this. Uh, you may blame Renton Rathbun. I'm going to thank him. So, <laughs> so that's cool. I really appreciate your time. So the presentation that you gave recently uh, through the Center for Biblical Worldview down there, talking about the origins of information, which really revolved around the origins of life. And so we have kind of this of the biblical understanding of the origins of life, which includes information, because without information, you're not going to have any life. The, the, the biblical understanding is that there was nothing. God created everything ex nihilo out of nothing. And then you've got the secular kind of big bang theory. There was nothing. And then something happened, which we can't observe, can't measure, can't really understand. Uh, and then you get eventually life, complex life, as we talk about here on the earth. And so the, the origins story mathematically and statistically is fascinating because that's I think oftentimes, Melissa, we sit there and go, oh, well, no, there's the biblical thing over here. And then there's math and science over there. But we can actually walk into the math and science world with a biblical worldview and actually uh, be effective there, which I think is what this will prove as we go through it. Most definitely. And so when you when you start looking at this and, and you reference a lot in your talk, Stephen Meyer, Dr. Stephen Meyer, who if anybody that studied uh, intelligent design, he's been on the forefront of that for a couple of decades now. But how do we approach the origins of life statistically? Like what like what are the odds that it could happen on its own versus requiring a creator? How do we do that? Um, you need to answer a couple of questions. So you do need to answer the question, uh, what was available to randomly create? How often could these kind of events happen? And if we just narrow the scope of the question. So in math, when you have a big problem, you always say, what's the simplest version of this problem I can start with, solve that first, and then move on. And so uh, narrowing down even from life down to information. So information is just something that generates a particular response. And if we narrow that down to like the smallest bit of information, what do I need to create that? Biologists tell us protein folds with amino acids. Where does that come from? Um, for the statistician, we would need to know that to be able to go forward. And nobody has an answer for that. The evolutionists don't have an answer. Well, we have an answer, Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't fit into the evolutionary model. And so uh, what we do as mathematicians, when we look at that, we'll just say, well, either we stop discussing the problem because we don't have a piece, or we assume that whatever needs to be true to keep going is true. And that's what we do with the first question. So we just assume that whatever you needed to generate information, these little amino acids somehow existed, which- Just a given, it's just yeah. there. <clears throat> yeah, you get the big there. bang, uh, the cosmic bowel movement created by nothing for no good reason. And then 
it spews forth all of this, all these building blocks, so to speak. Right. And so the statistician in me says, I'm having a little bit of a stroke as you say that something <laughs> just happened. Right. I'm like, well, what's the probability of that? But yes. for now, we'll put that question aside yeah. and just say it happened. And then the next thing we need to know is oh, what constitutes information. So how do I know when I'm looking at these amino acids that got put together that what I got was information as opposed to junk? And then how many different ways could the amino acids go together? So we end up being able to estimate a probability and it's very, it's called classical probability because it's the simplest way to think about probability. It's the way we think about you roll a die. What's yeah. the probability of a two? Well, one out of six, right. because there's one way to two out of six possibles. So looking at what are the number of possible things that could be called information out of the number of things that could have happened. And that's going to be our probability of getting a piece of information under a purely random event. Now, in this case, you mentioned the dice. And so <laughs> you know how many times, you know, you're going to roll the dice a certain amount of times. Right. Uh, are we then in this case, did we then use kind of the secular Big Bang notion of the universe itself, 13, 14 billion years old, the, the Earth itself, 3.8, 3.9 billion years old. And so that gives you this time frame because that tells you how many times you can, uh, uh, quote unquote, roll the dice. Right. Does that make sense? So, yes. So you I'm asking you that question, which is ridiculous. <laughs> you definitely have to take into consideration how often you get to try. So if, if we're trying to, you know, randomly hack a three digit number and you only get to try once, you get one try out of a thousand Right, is your probability. But if you get to try 50,000 times, then the probability that you'll hack this number is really pretty high. So taking into consideration all of the organisms that have been observed to have existed and even allowing for the evolutionary perspective of 3.85 billion years, um, the number of times that you get to try compared to the number of possibilities is still remarkably small. And um, the way hypothesis testing, way coming up with a conclusion once you look at data works and statistics is we're going to give the, the, the assumption the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So for now, like the assumption that evolution happened We'll give it the benefit of the doubt. We'll yeah. just pretend it that it worked and it happened. And what is the likelihood of seeing all of the bits of information, all of the organisms out of everything that possibly could have happened under the assumption that you had 3.85 billion years? And you end up with this beautiful number, like one over 10 times, or one over 10 raised to the 37th, which is like a billion multiplied by itself four times. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, now, thankfully, at this point, that's still beyond government numbers. We're just yes. playing with the trillions in government numbers, which is yep. nothing compared to what we're talking about. But that's why I, w I went online. Uh, to, I've never been to this website, exponitiations.com, something like that. Okay. And I put 10 to the power of 37, which literally is a one followed by 37 zeros. Yes. So you have a one on the top. And don't let this trigger you. We're talking about a fraction here. One on the top. <laughs> with a uh, one on the, on the bottom followed by 37 zeros. And that's the odds, quote unquote, that this could work itself out given 
1.5 billion years. Mm-hmm. Which I guess we wouldn't say at that point, Melissa, that it's quote unquote uh, impossible. But because there, there is that <laughs> that one out of blah 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 odds that it happened. But we would. That's why I mentioned you before we yeah. started the show. The one of the reasons we got banned from YouTube is because I like to use things like this, static uh, mathematics, looking at the probabilities of things. When we were going through the COVID experience, and I was looking at death rates of people below 24 and under in America. Mm -hmm. And I ended up learning a phrase that, for a Christian, I was uncomfortable with, which was statistically insignificant, which I want to unpack that because we're going to apply that to the origins of life. Uh, can we be great mathematicians, great scientists, and Christians at the same time? Do the evolutionists have a point, or is it complete nonsense? We'll be right back. Com. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday with our friends at Bob Jones University and BJU Seminary today talking to Dr. Melissa Gardangi, who is the chair of the Division of Mathematical Sciences at Bob Jones University, talking about the origins of life, the statistical probability, or in this case, improbability, uh, that you could, just to get a complex amino acid, you could just go through the process. Let's assume the Big Bang happened. Let's assume it created all the different building blocks that you need to have and and, and over 3.85 billion years, which is what they estimate the age of the earth to be, just this random uh, processes using these particular building blocks, which would be the information, uh, what are the odds that you're going to get to complex life? And that's why we mentioned 10 to the power of 37. It's a one with 37 zeros after it. And, uh, and Melissa, again, thanks for being here today. And then, and then you mentioned this off the air. I want to make sure we bring this in just from a, uh, kind of an evangelical heart level understanding our fellow human beings all made in the image of God, even if you present them with this information. Uh, and, and many of us try to do that. Like I was mentioning Frank Turek, he wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Because to, to be an atheist and to believe this model, you end up down there as, as generally with that one to the, to the 37th power, the uh, one over that. Those are the odds that this actually happened the way that, um, oh, I just forgot his name. Origin of Species, Darwin and all the other naturalists would have you believe it. And so you get there and you go, well, that's statistically improbable to say the least. Yet for a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, that's still that's still not going to bring them over. Mathematics isn't going to win them to Christ. No. And that's the, you were you were just kind of, I'll use the word lamenting, kind of the sadness of that reality. It's it, this is where we go back to truth, and the Bible gives us what is true, and the Bible teaches us very clearly that our hearts and our minds are blinded, mm-hmm. and we need the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal that, and only through the work of the Holy Spirit can we start to perceive truth. And so there is no argument that any discipline can make. Um, It seems like God designed it this way. He says, I want you to have to choose to believe. That's what salvation by faith, you have to choose to believe. It can't be proven to you. Um, But the, there's a flip side to that, that sometimes I think makes Christians a little fearful math and science. I'm not afraid of anything in math and science. There's nothing in math and science that can contradict the scripture when considered honestly and objectively right 
And so I think as Christians, we want to embrace what's out there because it describes the world that God created. It gives us insight into this creator because we start to understand his work and how he thinks about the world and what he intended the world to be. And I don't have to be fearful of anything that mathematicians or scientists come up with that it will suddenly prove that the Bible is wrong. Right. Assuming they're intellectually honest. Yes. Because so that's... I mean, like like Francis Crick, for example, there's a, there's a great quote of Francis Quick, Crick when he was saying, I have to continually remind myself that what I'm looking at is not designed. It's got the appearance of design. Everything inside my scientific, really sharp brain is screaming, this is design. Okay, huh? Even when you get down to the cellular level, the little black box, as Darwin would have called it, and you discover, uh, uh-oh, information. Mm-hmm. You know, that even the, the, again, I, I look at math and science and go, you're just all you're doing is is digging into the genius of God. And I'm glad you yeah. said that we shouldn't. I think there's plenty of Christians that are probably afraid if they see a headline somewhere about some archaeological thing or some scientific discovery that that might uh, prove the Big Bang Theory. Uh, we have to realize that all lost people want to prove the Big Bang Theory because they want God to not exist. Yes. Um. I, I would I would totally agree with that. And it's it's interesting that you talk about the guy who wants to has to has to remind himself that this is not designed because he comes to the table with a certain set of assumptions. Mm-hmm. He assumes that there can't be a design. And so he has to fit everything to fit into those assumptions. And uh, there's a lack of intellectual honesty often with the assumptions we make. Yeah. Sometimes we do it ourselves. What assumptions are we making that lead us to the conclusions that we make, the decisions that we make in our lives yeah. and recognizing that he made an assumption that there can't be design because he wanted to. Right, exactly. He had a narrative. He he had a, he wrote the end of the book. Then he has to fill in everything else given his objective, which is God doesn't exist. There is no design. So even though it appears, Melissa, to be designed, it isn't. <clears throat> he would tell you, of course, you're reading into it because you're, you're, the end of your book is God exists. Therefore, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, no, no. You're, you're, I, at least I'm intellectually honest enough to realize we all have a bias. Mm-hmm. But then you got to be intellectually honest. So let me, let, me, let me jump to the classroom here. Sure. Uh, because I don't know if Renton told you that I teach as well. So like this okay. fall, I'll have about, I'm on track to have about 220 students. So I teach four different <laughs> classes. <laughs> My life is rather, rather wild. So I love teaching, <laughs> but, but for you as a mathematician teaching math at Bob Jones university, uh, do most of your students come in and they're kind of where you and I are at? You're, you're, you're where you are uh, with an incredible understanding of mathematics. I I'm doing it all as a layman. But mm-hmm. but how do how are they as as freshmen sophomores uh, in terms of kind of this this conjuncture uh, between their faith and their view and their biblical worldview and the world of science and math? Do they like I started at the beginning of the show? Are they kind of are those two different worlds for them, or, or what's that like to teach into that environment? Um, I think for most of us in this day and age, especially mathematics has been segregated because the last hundred years or so, people have focused on uh, mathematics as a logical discipline, mathematics as it models the world, and where the world comes from is not important to mathematicians. Um, The problems in the world 
what motivates it? Why is there sin? Yeah. They've stopped being philosophers. Right. And that's leached into our curriculum in some ways. So there's this idea of universal truth. It's and it's accepted by everybody. So you you learn your addition facts. Christian addition facts are the same as secular addition right. facts. Right. And you you stop thinking about why that is. And what I have come to realize is it's just this awesome opportunity to work in a field where the unsaved have to work with a biblical worldview. Right. Whether they like it or not. And whether they acknowledge it or not. Right. They pretend there is no worldview, but the truth is that math works the way it works because God made it to work that way. He gave us order and structure that we can figure out. Well, if there were no order and structure, Melissa, would math even be possible? Um, I, so my first part is, I don't know what you're talking about if there's no order and structure. And then my <laughs> second answer is, sure, you just define math to be something else right, than it right. is currently. And The study uh, of random purposeless forces swirling around, not ending, and you never get the same answer twice, or the odds are slim. And it would be a really short class because... <laughs> <laughs> There's no patterns to figure out. Right. There's nothing to understand. Just right. show up and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, you, you mentioned Dr. Stephen Meyer a lot in your mm-hmm. talk down there. I've mentioned him a lot today. Who are <clears> – <throat> I had some folks on, on Facebook Live. So, you're not, so now you've got some people in your corner here because they're uh, – uh, is she familiar with Dr. Jason Lyer's presentation on the Mandelbrot set and fractal geometry? I'm not familiar with the presentation. I am familiar with fractals. Yeah. See, now now you just switched into it. Now you might as well be speaking in tongues right now for me. Uh, and then what about uh, John Lennox, obviously over at Oxford? Like I wanted to ask you, like, yeah. who are some people that you could recommend for those of us that are interested in this approach to our faith, As we sh- and you should be at some level? But who are some people in that space? And I'll ask you about Stephen Meyer because it's interesting where he hasn't chosen to go over the years. Mm-hmm. He's changing his position a little bit now because he wants to stay on the, the intelligent design without getting to the obvious conclusion. Yeah. But who are some people that you would recommend to just lay people like us that would help us start to get into the pool of the intersection of truth, as you said, reality, math and science, and our faith? Oh, that's... I know I'm putting you on the spot, so... You are putting me on the spot. Sorry. Um, to be honest, the first place I go when I want to start having this conversation is not to anybody's books, but I like to go back to Romans. Mm. And one of the things I love about Romans is that there is so much mathematical thinking embedded in that book. What do you mean by that? So, for example, we're familiar with the passage that says, um, don't sin so grace that can, so grace can abound. Like, that's bad. And when you start reading through the argument that is presented in those passages, he starts out with a very mathematical approach. He says, okay, let's define in the earlier chapters, what does it mean to be a Christian? Mm. So a Christian is the kind of person who has uh, stopped serving themselves, stopped serving Satan and is serving the Lord. And they're going to make decisions aligned with the Lord. Okay, so we'll hold that thought because I want to unpack that when we come back from the break. You might hear the music in the background. Uh, Because when you read Romans, you're actually probably seeing 
uh, I guess e equations generally, but the need for proofs, what if, if then, mathematical kind of language, which is fascinating. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Today on Theology Thursday with our friends at Bob Jones University. Today, Dr. Melissa Gardangi is in the house. She is the chair of the Division of Mathematical Sciences at Bob Jones University. And we've just been talking about kind of the intersection of math and science and the, those disciplines and a biblical worldview, specifically talking about the origins of life and the odds of that happening all on its own. Random uh, purposeless forces coming together uh, to the tune of about 3.85 billion years, the uh, estimated age of the Earth by those folks, and the odds of, it, of that happening, which becomes statistically improbable, to say the least. And then just more uh, in general, kind of math and philosophy. You were mentioning Romans before we hit the mm -hmm. break, Melissa. And I was trying to understand. So when you read through Romans as a mathematician, you, you, you kind of... I keep thinking of, I don't know, if did you ever see any of the Matrix movies? Yeah. All right. So all of a sudden, Neo, who's the, the chosen one, right? The one. All yeah. of a sudden, he can see the truth of the Matrix. So he sees ones and zeros. We see what those present to us as reality. Right. But the real truth is the ones and zeros. So is that like when you read Romans, you're kind of like having a Neo thing <laughs> and your mathematical thinking is working, interacting with the book of Romans? Well, uh it seems like what you're saying would imply that the underlying truth to everything is mathematics, which isn't, isn't a bad thought to me, although it makes probably some of my students wince. Um, <laughs> but when I look at I would at not Romans, say that's my overall <laughs> point. I, I just meant that you understand it yeah. from that perspective, as Paul writes. Because, I mean, that's one of the thickest, deepest theological yeah. treatises in the Bible yeah. is the book of Romans. It's not the easiest thing to understand. Well, I spend my professional life making arguments for things, and um, that's what Romans is doing yeah. throughout much of the book. So he uses definitions of words. So when I introduce a word, what does it mean? He uses, we might say, facts already in evidence, things we know to be true about God and about salvation from other places in the scripture. And then he builds up this line-by-line -line case that says, if you're a Christian, then Christians behave this way. And if you sin all the time, that's the opposite of how Christians ought to behave. Therefore, no Christian should sin all the time just so God can forgive you a lot and seem like a wonderful God. It makes you inconsistent with what it means to be Christian. Yeah. And um, so it, it, it just comes through as this startling insight if this is the way god is building an argument to us through his scriptures and this is the way we think mathematically i just love that mathematics gives us an ability to think more like the way god thinks yeah. in a particular context yeah yeah there's a lot of structure to it it makes mm -hmm. sense it's logical yeah. Yeah. it's not fanciful it's not uh buddhism or taoism it's not kind of this ethereal mush <clears throat> it, it actually is very logical and you don't have to just blindly trust all the time. Right. You take this one little piece on faith that God is telling you the truth when he gave us his word, and then everything else builds on that and makes sense. 
with students at, at Bob Jones University taking mathematics, do they, do they come into these classes, Melissa, uh, with that? We, I mentioned this earlier. I just wanted to go mm-hmm. back into this a little bit. With that natural separation that there's math and science over here and then there's my faith over here. Is that the way they come in? And assuming they don't leave that way, what, what are kind of the big things that, that occur that, that get them to the point where you're at? And for me as a layman, where I'm at, where I see all this stuff integrated. Um, they do tend to separate things because that's what we do in our immaturity. We silo, we put some information over here and we put other information here yeah. and we put others over here. And maturity is the integrating of information from different parts of our lives to make wiser, better decisions. Um, one of the things that I, I try to use throughout my mathematics classes is bringing out the patterns that exist that God created, some of them, I find it's just so impressive because I think he designed the patterns that we observe mathematically to give us a picture of something about him. Mm. So this idea that God is infinite, but knowable. We've got a mathematical idea of the number two. Small children understand. You give them one cookie when you promise them two, you will hear about it. (laughs) They know. Right. But there are also mathematical ways to express the number two that require an infinite number of numbers to actually get all of the two. And when I look at that, I say, that's an important tool in mathematics. And you might be like, why would you ever want infinite number of numbers? It becomes valuable sometimes in solving problems. But I also see God is infinite. He is beyond our comprehension, but he has made himself to be knowable to us with our little childish minds. Yeah. And so he gives us the side of him that's just a two. And then there's this huge side behind and they aren't separate. They're both him. And when I look at the math, I see this picture that he kind of talks about in his word. And the math helps me understand that picture a little bit better. Yeah. In in your in your journey as a mathematician, did you ever struggle with the notion of creation and six literal days with a logical mind going, okay, that that's obviously outside of the natural, therefore it must be supernatural. Was that ever a a challenge for you? And and I don't mean that I'm not like probing, looking for holes in your faith. I'm just curious. (laughs) I would say that's not a challenge for me because uh, fairly intuitive for me was the fact that if evolution was going to happen, the question of where did stuff come from right before it existed and evolution doesn't have an answer for that nothing nothing they it's an open question we don't know and they're perfectly comfortable saying that whereas the narrative the bible gives us perfectly explains what i see in the world there's nothing i observe in the world that is contradicted of what the bible says yeah It explains why people behave the way they behave. Mm -hmm. It explains why the universe does what it does. And so the more plausible narrative to me seems to be the biblical narrative. Yeah. So next month, have you heard about the movie Oppenheimer that's coming out next month? I haven't. All right. So this is a three-hour Christopher Nolan extravaganza, Mm -hmm. all about Oppenheimer, who led the team to create the atom bomb. Right. So so it's going to be very scientific. Uh, It'll be interesting to watch that uh, because that's that's mankind discovering how God has created reality and then our ability to manipulate it, to unleash uh, remarkable uh, pain. Mm -hmm. 
and damage and power. Okay. And that's that, that's why I, I asked you that question a minute ago because I want people to understand because I think a lot of us, I don't know what percentage of Christians, that's uh, in this case in America or in this audience, uh, get nervous when we start talking about scientific discovery, mathematical discovery, particle colliders, uh, the system up in Chicago, the one in Europe, and they're trying to discover the origins of life or the origins of the universe. I think a lot of people, or let's say a significant number of Christians, that, that makes them uneasy, which is why I really appreciate, Melissa, the fact that you keep coming back to using a mind that operates that way. Uh, the, the onus is on the other side. It's the people yeah. that deny the reality of Scripture that are the ones with the handicap. It's not us. Yeah. I think we say we defend, 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 as opposed to, no, the other side really needs to defend because they have, well, I wrote it down, what you said earlier, statistical improbability. <laughs> they cannot construct a narrative, an explanation that fills in all the gaps and is plausible. Yeah. And to be honest, when people start doing more research and more study, it I found it so amazing as I was researching for the talk and reading through some of Stephen Meyer's work that as science progressed, it became less and less probable that life evolves randomly. Right. So Darwin goes back to a day when they didn't understand DNA and Nothing. they didn't even have any idea how complex everything was. And as we learn more and more, we're like, wow, everything is so complicated. And then there's the stuff we still don't know, which is like most of everything. And that's probably even more complicated than yeah. what we do know. Yeah. And the probabilities get smaller right. that things could randomly pop out. Yeah, over time, uh, evolution just gets more and more preposterous. Like, like, uh, you'll know this, and you would have seen this in Stephen Meyer's work, uh, the phrase irreducible complexity. I, I love that. Because I'm like, if you, if you get to the stuff in nature that can't be described by evolutionary process, like you got 40 different component parts to the flagellum, and there, every part in and of itself has no purpose whatsoever. So it's not going to survive the evolutionary process yet. Boom, there it is. Uh, how do you explain that? And then you can't. And that's where I now that's where my flesh jumps in if I'm talking to an unbeliever about that. And and they're like, uh, because I want to get a knife out and notch my belt. Right. Yeah. Uh, a shame. I shamed another one. That's not the gospel, of course. But no. but that's where I, I think it's it's just for me, that's just fun getting into that kind of stuff. And I just look I'm like, I feel so badly that they are so blind. Mm. And the truth is staring them at their face there you go. and their heart is so resistant. Yeah. I, just compassion for that person. Yeah, there's and that is, and that's a great place for us to end. That that's the the compassionate gospel lament for the lost. Instead of looking at them as objects to be conquered, uh, they're people made in the image of God that we need to love and do okay. our part in that process. And with some people, this is the language that they need to be able to work through it. If the spirit's working in them, then then science and probability and irreducible complexity, all those things can really matter. Uh, what a great conversation, Melissa. I'd, I'd love to have you back on again. This has been great. Uh, I'm going to pray for you and your ministry here in a second down there at the school. But thanks so much for being on. This is Steve Noble uh, back in the studio. I'll be back again tomorrow. Don't have any travel plans uh, in the near future until I go down to BJU next month, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we'll do a Theology Thursday down there. But this is Steve Noble and the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.
another program powered by the Truth Network.